you got your Bibles, you can go ahead and turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, because that's where, where we'll be here in just a minute. This past summer, we had the, uh, the joy of having our son Stephen uh, play baseball for the first time in Little League over at Woodway Family Center, which is just sort of a, a very fun, unique experience. Uh, I don't know how many of you have had those experiences with your kids where uh, you take them out and they play for the first time and, and they just really, really have no idea what they're doing yet. And uh, they, uh, you know, they'll, they'll hit the ball and then, and then just kind of stand there and, and watch it or, or they'll run to third base instead of first base or uh, they'll, you know, they'll come out and, and their batting helmet will be on backwards or, uh, you know, they're out picking flowers in the outfield or watching the clouds or all sorts of just humorous things that, that go on. And, and uh, you know, as, they, as they started their season, they, they just had a few practices and a lot of these kids had never played before. And so they were learning just the basics, how to, how to catch a ball, how to stop a ball or at least not let it get too far from you before you pick it up and, you know, kind of how to throw it and, you know, hitting the, hitting the ball and, and just the, just the bare basics of how you, how you play this game. And it was messy and funny at times. And, and so then they had their first game. And, uh, and so they all, the, Steven's team goes out and they're all out in the field. They're waiting for the balls to be hit. And so the balls are, are coming and, you know, parents are doing the parent thing. They're cheering their kids on. They're shouting at them what to do. And, and, uh, at, at one point the, the ball gets hit and, uh, my son was out in, out in left field and the ball came right towards him and it, it rolled past him. And so he r- went running after it and, and he, and he picks it up. And so, you know, they've got two or three guys and they're running the bases. So, so everyone's screaming, you know, throw the ball, throw the ball, throw the ball. And, you know, I'm doing the same thing. I'm probably the loudest one, you know, Steven, throw the ball. And he's instead of throwing it. He's like running further and further up, but holding the ball. And, and we're like, throw the ball, throw the ball, throw the ball. And finally he stops and he looks right at me. Okay. And he yells out, I don't know where. And, uh, you know, you know, I, I had to concede that, you know, that he, he didn't know where, you know, they had spent all their time just trying to learn the basics of the skills of how to play this game that they had no idea how their position related to anyone else on the team or even what the basic rules were uh, on, on how this game actually works. Um, you know, it doesn't matter your skill level in any sport. If you don't understand your place on the team, uh, there will be no championships in your future. Uh, likely not even very much scoring. We have to know how we relate to one another on the team. In our, in our Christian faith, you know, we talk a lot about uh, growing personally with Christ. We talk a lot about what it takes to be in relationship with God. And so we talk about things like, like prayer. And reading scripture and, and, and knowing the scriptures and, and getting that knowledge. You know, we talk about, about worship. We talk about giving. All the things that, that are part of your daily walk with God. We ask you to, you know, often we ask you about considering your next steps of, of personal growth as, as we should. And, and in, the, in the bulletin, in the sermon insert, it says, you know, what are, what's my application of this? And, and we should do that. And that's, and that's appropriate. But, you know, if we're not real careful... It's, it becomes very easy to start thinking of, of our lives with Christ as just being us in Christ. Or maybe, maybe our family in Christ. Maybe, maybe we've walked together. But it all becomes about how we're 
growing, about how we're developing, about what we're doing. And the funny thing is, if if you look at Scripture, there's really nothing in Scripture that says this revolves around you. It just isn't. You you won't find that in any passage. Um, You know, and it's so easy to forget that we're actually called to be part of a larger body. We're called to actually serve God together. You know, and sometimes we actually do worse and forget. Sometimes we buy into a lie that's really common in our culture these days, and it goes something like this. You know, I believe in God, but I don't really like the whole organized religion thing. Anybody hear that? Maybe once or twice or a thousand times. You hear it so often that it's almost like a truism. It's like people don't even hardly argue it half the time because, well, yeah, you know, that's just obvious. You know, yeah, God is up there. But, you know, this whole organized religion thing, churches, they just mess, mess everything up. And, and look at all the, the harm that's, that's come from it. And they're so judgmental. And, and it's just, you know, why would you want to be a part of that? You know, just just serve God on your own. Make God your own. Follow, follow him on your own. And and. Um, and it sounds so wise, you know, because we've all had bad experiences at church, right? We've all run into people that um, maybe didn't display the love of Christ exactly the way that, uh, that we had hoped. Probably many of us have had a run-in maybe with a, a church leader at some point in the past and really soured our stomach. And we just the idea of getting actively involved in a Christian community, well, why would I, why would I ever want to do that? But if you read through Scripture, what you'll find is that there is a common and consistent exhortation to live together in Christian community. It's unmistakable. It's all the way through it. You can't miss it. And so how can we ever accept the idea that we can love Christ but not his people? We can't. Not if we believe this like we say we do. My challenge for today is, is really very simply this, and that's for us to think of our walk with God more in terms of we than, than me. And we're going to look at some different ways that your relationship with God is to be lived out in close connection uh, with others. The biggest area of, of this is uh, an area that we really don't think about very much, most of us, and that's um, in the largest sense, you, if you are a believer in Christ, if you have place your faith in Christ and he is your savior, then you are part of the church. And I don't mean fellowship Bible church. I mean the church, sometimes with a capital C, that is basically defined as every single believer in Christ on the surface of the planet. The church, the body of Christ universal in the world. For Christ is the head of that. I said, we don't think a lot about that today, most of us. I want to read you what Scripture says. If you look at 1 Corinthians chapter 12, we're going to start in verse 4. Here Paul is talking to the Corinthians about uh, the structures in their church. and They're having some problems with uh, some spiritual gifts and people exercising those improperly. And so Paul is kind of correcting their, their worship services and how they should order things and how they should get, their, get, get everything together. And here's what he says in verse 4. He says, now there are, are varieties of gifts but the same spirit. And there are varieties of ministries and the same Lord. There are varieties of, of effects, but the same God who works all things and all persons. 
But to each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit, and to another the word of knowledge according to the same Spirit. To another faith by the same Spirit, and to another gifts of healing by the one Spirit. And to another the effecting of miracles, and to another prophecy, to another the distinguishing of spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, and to another the interpretation of tongues. But one and the same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually just as he, just as he wills. For even as the body is one and yet has many members, and all the members of the body, though they are many, are one body, so also is Christ. For by one Spirit we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and we all were made to drink of one Spirit, for the body is not one member, but many. And if you skip down to verse 27, Paul says, Now you are Christ's body and individually members of it. Now, there's a lot in that passage that can raise a lot of questions, and that can, I'll leave that for Grant for another day, about the, you know, the healings and the speaking of tongues and the word of wisdom and the word of knowledge and all that. We're not really going to focus on, on that today. You know, my, my take on that is that those were, uh, those were specific giftings of the Spirit that God used as signs to show the progression of of the gospel from Jews to Samaritans, from Samaritans to Gentiles, affirming that this truly was the work of the Spirit so that uh, the early Jewish Christians would, would realize that this work of God was truly a work of God for all and that they would all come together and, and that these giftings don't exist in the exact same way that they do today. Not that people aren't healed and those kinds of things, but that people aren't specifically gifted in these areas in the same way they were back then. But... Rather than focus, and that can be a whole sermon or a whole sermon series, but what I really want to focus on, which I think is really the heart of this passage, is what Paul is talking about, unity in the body. About there being one body, one Lord, one faith, and that however you're gifted, you know, and we're all unique, that we're one. And this isn't just the church in Corinth. This is the body of Christ, and we are, and God has put it together intentionally so that it would work well together as God uses the individual gifts of each person in it. In Ephesians, Paul's talking about the same kind of thing in Ephesians 4.15 where he says, But speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body, being fitted and held together by what every joint supplies, according to the proper working of each individual part, causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. Every part doing, doing its job, just like you know, different parts of your body, working together for this body, again, not an individual church, but the body of Christ working together to actually accomplish something in the world. We have, we have a mission. We have a purpose that's bigger than than Fellowship Bible Church that's bigger than the United States of America, the church here that's bigger than the Western church. It's, it's God's purpose for his entire church, and it involves the redemption of humanity. And we're all connected to it. We're all a part of it if, if he is our Savior. And the early Christians, you know what, they, they got this. You know, when, when, when Paul writes his letters, you'll notice, you know, Paul doesn't, doesn't write to the First Baptist Church of Corinth or the First Methodist Church of Thessalonica or anything like that. There's just, there's just the church, right? Uh, those divisions and those kinds of things, those hadn't happened yet. There was simply the church. 
If you read about, you know, if you read in, in you know, the end of Matthew where Jesus tells them to go and make disciples, you know, all the, the surviving apostles are, are there together and they're told just to go out and basically do with others what Jesus did with them and to teach them to do the same things and, and replicate and just, and just do that over and over and over again and, and to do it as, you know, as a unit. Everyone with the same heart, everyone with the same philosophy, the same mindset, the same spirit. The early Christians, they took this, they, they huddled together in Jerusalem, and the Spirit fell on all of them on the day of Pentecost. And they all went out, speaking in different languages to the people in Jerusalem, sharing their faith. And then Peter took the lead, and he gets up, and he gives this sermon, and 3,000 people come to Christ that day. But it was all of them together on mission, doing God's work. It says in, in, in early Acts that they would spend their time eating together and learning from the apostles together. And worshiping together. And when someone needed something, someone else who had money would give it to them. Or they would sell a piece of property to, to fund them. And, and it says that they had all things in common. They were truly one body. Later on in the New Testament, when, when the church in Jerusalem is going through intense persecution and hardships, Paul's going around raising money to send back to Jerusalem. The other churches that had been founded by people who had spread out from there... They realized that they weren't separate. There was still one church, and they needed to send money back to them because they were hurting, and they had to care for them. There was one body. Now, over time, this this idea it changed a little bit um, as you get uh, through a little bit of church history. Um, as you get, you know, the Roman Empire, ta- uh, or the church becomes the official religion of the Roman Empire, and it becomes very institutionalized becomes very much an organization. And wherever you lived in the Roman Empire, and even after the Roman Empire fell, wherever it had had influence, you probably considered yourself a Christian. And as the Middle Ages continued and the Catholic Church kind of evolved closer to the form that we know it, know it today, um, if you lived in an area under the Catholic Church, you considered yourself a Christian. And you saw yourself as Part of one church, one body. In fact, this was so important that as, as, the, as they were figuring out kind of what their basic beliefs were, as they were sorting through who Jesus was and who the Holy Spirit is and all that kind of stuff, they started putting together creeds of their basic beliefs of what, what just the, the basic beliefs of what, of what you had to be to be a Christian. And in the Apostles' Creed, one of the very first ones, around 400 A.D., you know, one of the things that they put in there is one of the basic beliefs was that we believe in the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints. And when they said Catholic Church, they didn't mean it like we think of it today, like as a big denomination. The word Catholic in Latin means universal, which is one. They could have just as easily said, we believe in, in one holy church, one body of Christ. That was fundamental to their understanding of what it meant to be a Christian. And as the Middle Ages progressed, they, they, didn't, they didn't lose this. It, you know, if, if you were from England or if you were from France or if you were from Spain or, or Germany or Italy or, or wherever, you still considered yourself part of one body. Now, it wasn't all good, not by a long shot. Um, you know, it certainly wasn't all roses. Um, sometimes as one group, they would go and do fun little things like have a crusade, you know, and, and as one body in Christ, they would go and... Uh, uh, you know, try to conquer territories, and sometimes they would sack other Christian cities. And, and, uh, and the Crusades were just a big, misguided, bloody, awful mess, but 
it does show that they thought that regardless of what country we're from, we still see ourselves somehow as all one body, and we'll go and we'll unite together beyond our nationalities to go accomplish something. Now, in this case, it was it was something very bad, um, you know, something that we're still paying the price for in the West about 800 years later. But but they saw themselves as one. Then the Protestant Reformation happens. And we're all a product of that. If you're in this room, you're probably a Protestant, even if you don't know what the term means. Um, you know, the Protestant Reformation started emphasizing things like personal salvation and the authority of the Scripture. You know, sola scriptura. You know, the Scripture first, and um, and grace over works and all these wonderful things. But you know what? The reformers like Martin Luther and Calvin, who are emphasizing these things. They were the first ones that had to have these ideas. If you read through the Catholic writers of the Middle Ages, you'll find lots of people were talking about these things. Lots of them were talking about grace over works. Lots of them were questioning the traditions of the church and the authority of the Pope. And lots of people were calling for a return to the, you know, to the authority of Scripture. What made the Reformers different was that they produced these ideas in a time where, through various circumstances like the printing press and things like that, they gained traction. Major traction. And the Catholic Church had no choice but to address them in a very powerful way. And when they addressed them, what they did was, rather than agree with them, they tend to excommunicate them. And say, you're no longer part of us. Which left these groups, like you know the Calvinists and the Lutherans, with very little choice but to start their own churches. And it opened a, kind of a Pandora's box that has never been closed. The idea of separating from a church and forming your own church was, it, it was inconceivable before this. Martin Luther, if you read his writings, he had no intention of separating from the church. He wanted to reform the church, and he really believed early on that if he could just get high enough in the authoritative structure of the church that someone would listen and, and these reforms would be made and, and everything would be good. But it didn't happen that way. And once these groups were split off, the ball just kept rolling. Division after division after division. And though there are so many positive things about the Protestant Reformation, that one of the things that we lost was the sense that we're one in Christ. These, these Christian groups started fighting one another. There are major wars fought. And just like with the Crusades, you know, killing in the name of Christ just never ends well. Um, and uh, there's so much division, so much hurt, so much bitterness that came out of this that the idea of a global body, even though it was still in their creeds, uh, it was it became something kind of foreign. But you and I are called to have a different mindset. We're called to have the same mindset that Peter did. In 1 Peter chapter 2, Peter says, you're a chosen race. You're a royal priesthood. You're a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. We are one people, and that should come first before our nationality, before even our families. We are one in this world under Christ. 
In Revelation 19 and, and 21, the church is called the bride of Christ. And you see the marriage of the lamb. And, and you know, it's, it's kind of like your marriages. You know, you get married and, and you marry into the family. And um, sometimes that's a little scary. Um, some of you may remember the old TV show, The Munsters, where, you know, sometimes the, the guy would be really excited about his relationship with a beautiful young girl until he met the rest of the family. And uh, sometimes it's that way with our relationship with Christ and the church. We're happy to follow Christ, but then we meet the rest of the family, and we're not, uh, we're not too sure about that. Um, sometimes it gets a little ugly. But, you know, there is, you look around this world, and there is so much hurt, and there's so much pain, there's so many terrible things going on, that for us to ignore one another, for us to try to go it alone, just doesn't work. The needs are too great, the call is too big, we truly need one another. A couple of days ago, uh, we went and saw, a few of you guys were there, we went and saw the, the 58 movie. Uh, we advertised it here, saw it over at Mission Waco, and, and we saw some really heartbreaking things that were going on in this world, but also some amazing things that the church, the global church, was doing in response to some things that it, that it could do in response. You know, meeting, you know, meeting the needs, meeting the call of Christ to the world. And one thing that, that, we, that they quoted in this movie was that economists figure that to end extreme world poverty. And by that, we're kind of defining it as where people are dying from simply not having the right nutrition, or people are dying from lack of access to clean water, or people are dying from preventable, easily treatable diseases like malaria and, and measles and things like that. The, the economists have estimated that to eradicate these types of extreme poverty would cost $73 billion a year over 10 years. You know, $73 billion a year over 10 years. And we also learned that the, the resources available to those who call themselves Christians in the United States of America is $2.5 trillion annually. We learned that, um, that great progress is being made, that malaria, the malaria infection rates have dropped by 50% in the last six years in large response to what a lot of Christian groups have been doing, raising awareness. Sending mosquito nets, simple things like that. We learned that over the past 20 years, 600 billion, or yes, I'm sorry, 600 million more people have access to clean water, much through the efforts of groups like World Vision and other agencies that that are are fighting those things. See, the good news is is that the call of Christ for the church in this world is happening. It works. The seemingly hopeless big Problems in the world aren't actually hopeless to God. And the church has always been at its best when it has gone with the gospel, but taking along with the, with the gospel of salvation, taking along with that the resources to help people the same way Christ did. You know, we've done it in the past 10 or 20 years with AIDS in Africa. This was an issue that the church was kind of slow to get going into because AIDS was viewed as something caused by, by immorality. And so we were a little slow getting, getting going. But once, once the church did, it became a major force in this area and it's having a huge impact over in Africa, which is the hub of that. You know, we're seeing it 
in this country, we see people, you know, churches organized against legalized abortion, speaking for, for the unborn and, and, and advocating for those types of things and, and helping uh, to support pregnant women in, in very difficult situations. It's the church at its best. United. Doesn't matter what your denomination or your church is. United to do these things. You know, in, in, in Matthew 5, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is looking at all his followers, all those who are following him at this point, and he makes this incredible statement. He says, you are the light of the world. Elsewhere, Jesus himself is called, the, is called the light of the world. But as we reflect him, it becomes us. And um, some of you have probably seen this picture before. It's a satellite image of what our planet looks like at night. Um, but I think this really greatly illustrates the way Christians are are to be on this planet. Viewing it as one world where where we are, we shine light in the darkness. We we bring the hope. We bring the truth of the gospel. We bring we bring real physical aid. We bring real hope. That's the church at its best. Now there's obviously some Initiatives that we can't take with other Christian groups. There are real issues over which sometimes, unfortunately, we do have to divide. The, you know, the authority of Scripture, the nature of salvation. There's, there's some major disagreements there that we just can't partner with groups in some endeavors. But as much as we can, we should be united in tackling the issues of this world. Trying our best not to be inherently suspicious of one another, but seeing ourselves as one. When Iraqi Christians are being run out of their country, it should hurt us. We should suffer that with them. We should support them in any way that we can. When China cracks down on house churches, should be praying about that, writing letters, advocating for them, doing whatever we can. You know, we we've gotten to know Strinovas real well, and we've prayed with him through his court, you know, through his arrest and and his court hearings, and now he is free of all that. And that made some of these things very personal that we can actually be involved with a global issue like that. Last week, you got to hear from Bill Hunt, one of our missionaries. And you know, one of the coolest things is that one of his key contacts down in Rwanda is an Anglican bishop who loves the Lord. It's incredible. That's the body of Christ at its best. And you're part, you individually, you're part of that plan. And we've got to think that way. But not only are we one globally, but there's also a we of the local church. Because the reality is that while we can certainly pray and give and do some things with you know, around the world, and we should, and we should support those things. We're going to live out most of our daily life right here in Waco, Texas, right here in Fellowship Bible Church. And it's so critical that we're a part of a body. You know, again, there's that common misconception that, that I don't really need the church. I can worship God at home. And that's true. You can. I hope you do. But you can't do that alone and take your place in the body. Well, the church is full of hypocrites. Yeah, it is. But, you know, I'll let God work that out in his timing. There's also quite a few people that genuinely love and are serving. And rather than be turned away or embittered 
by the poor actions of those who claim Christ. If we recognize that, we can be part of the solution. And we can seek to show love. First John 3, John says, By this the children of God and the children of the devil are obvious. Anyone who does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor the one who does not love his brother. For this is the message which you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. Jesus said that you, that you would know his disciples by their love for one another. You know, and it's the same. We, I'll be the first to admit we don't always live that out the way we should. But nevertheless, that is our goal and that's what we strive towards. And we can't love one another if we're separating from one another. We're family. And we should live with each other as family. You know, and... You know, every family has those family members that uh, they're at the reunions and they may be a little difficult. But they're still family. And in the church, I'm sorry to say you will face some tough things. There will be times where you encounter shallow Christians or judgmental Christians. And, and those things are, are real because we're fallen human beings. But despite all that. There, there are people that want to love you. And frankly, we need you. If Christ has called you to be a part of Fellowship Bible Church, then that means that how he's unique, uniquely gifted and created you, he has a purpose for you here. And if, if you deny that, if you separate out, or if you just sit there each week and just take it in, you'll never experience the fullness of of true life in him because we can't experience true life with christ alone we weren't built that way in hebrews the author of hebrews says let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promised is faithful and let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds not forsaking our own assembling together as is the habit of some but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching who have you stimulated to good deeds today who have you encouraged now, after church today, someone may ask you, how was church today? We ask Stephen that most days after church. My wife asked me that Wednesday nights after youth group. How's church today? And, you know, we usually respond in some pretty typical ways. Well, sermon was good, maybe a little long. I took a nap. Um, the music was too loud. The music was too soft. The music was too fast. The music was perfect. The service was packed or seemed kind of down today. I froze during the service. Why can't they get the AC right? Um, some of my friends weren't there today. You know, it ran long. The Methodists beat me to Golden Corral. Um, how was church today? But you know what? What if we measured church differently? What if we measured church not by what we expected to get out of it, but by what we put into it? What if, our measure, what if we answer the question of how is church today by how we serve one another? How is church today? Well, I, I talked to such and such who was going through a tough time, and, and they seemed genuinely encouraged. How is church today? Well, I, I heard about an outreach opportunity I wasn't aware of, and I'm going to go check that out. How is church today? You know, I, I met three people I hadn't before, and I actually invited one of them to my fellowship family. How was church today? 
Well, there was someone who was running late, and they were kind of frantic, and I ran there, and I helped them set up their classroom so they could get started. You know, I thank two people for their ministry to me and my family. I made an appointment to talk to someone about how I could be used more effectively. That's how church was today. It's about what we bring to it. You know, Christmas time is right around the corner. And during Christmas, you hear it's more blessed to give than to receive. And we say it, we repeat it. I think we mean it. But you know what? That's true at church all year long. It's about what we give to one another. Yeah, we need to learn. We need to be encouraged. But if our focus is on what we get out of this, then that's self-focus. And that's not Christianity. But if we focus on what we can give, and we're all focused on what we can give and serve, how we can serve one another, then you'll have a few hundred people looking to serve you and making sure you're okay. And we'll actually experience the church the way God, God called us to. You know, going back to the whole baseball illustration, some of you find church pretty unfulfilling. Some of you, in baseball terms, um, you've never even really seen a home run. You've uh, never really seen someone get someone out. You've, uh, you've seen the practices. And sometimes I think we mistake the practice for the game. You know, we come here thinking this is the game. It's not. Most of what goes on here on Sunday mornings, Wednesday nights, most of that's the practice. Ephesians 4 says that, that apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers, we're all here for the equipping of the saints, for the work of service, to the building up of the body of Christ. We're here to get trained and then to go out and live it. If you're ignoring the church or if you're not becoming a part of the body, if you're not seeking to be trained, then you're not going to be effective. You're not going to go, be able to go out and play the game. And let's face it, no one joins sports for the practice. You join sports to play the game. I mean, how many of you are looking forward tomorrow night to watching Monday night football practice? Nobody? You know, how many of you are looking forward to the, the highlights of the reel from, from training camp? Doesn't happen. You know, how many of you care about the longest field goal ever kicked in practice? We don't. It's all about playing the game, but if we mistake the practice for the game, we'll never be satisfied. We'll always find this unfulfilling. We'll always find reasons not to be here and not to commune with one another. Going back to our First Corinthians passage, chapter 12, verse 15, Paul says, If the foot says, because I am not a hand, I am not a part of the body, it is not for this reason any less a part of the body. And if the ear says, because I am not an eye, I am not a part of the body, it's not for this reason any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? If the whole were hearing, where would the sense of smell be? But now God has placed the members, each of them, in the body just as he desired. If they were all one member... Where would the body be? But now there are many members, but one body. And I cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, or again, the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, it is much truer that the members of the body which seem to be weaker are necessary. And those members of the body which are deemed less honorable, on these we bestow more abundant honor. And our less presentable members become much more presentable, whereas our more presentable members have no need of it. But God has so composed the body, giving more abundant honor to that member of which lacked, so that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care one for another. And if one member suffers, 
all the members suffer with it. And if one member is honored, all the members are honored with it. You may not know how to be used by God. You may be hearing all this and you'd like to be part of the global church or the local church, but maybe you have, maybe all you've ever done is, is sat there on Sunday morning or in a classroom or in a Bible study. I think there's a lot of people in that boat. And you may be looking up here at people singing or giving testimonies or preaching or, you know, whatever. You may think, I can never do that. But you know what? That's okay. Not everyone can be a head or a hand or a foot. We need every part. And they're no less important. There's so many things that go on in this church that most people have no idea of. But this church simply would grind to a halt if people that whose names you probably don't even know weren't serving the way God had gifted them. And one of my great joys is seeing people come to be realized they can be used by God, whether it's students and sometimes even adults. I just had a guy a couple of months ago tell me that he never realized that what he did for a living could actually be used to serve the church. And he was so excited. And it was so cool to see him go through that process. You can be used by God. There is whatever you're passionate about, whatever your skill set is, I guarantee there's a way that God can use that to further his church locally and further his work in this world. You know, doctors, financial advisors, construction workers, electrical engineers, sports athletes, web designers, graphic designers, law enforcement, pilots, social workers, you name it. It can all be used. And when we leave this place, we need to realize that that's when the game begins. That's when we're entering our mission field and we go out together to serve. I see the time and... We need to, to wrap things up, and so I just want to want to close with this. Everything about the Christian faith, everything, is lived out in relationships. From Christ's relationship with us to our relationship to others, and you know, here in this church to our, to our relationship, our church's relationship to efforts around the globe, to your relationship to people in your small group, to your personal discipleship relationships, everything about the Christian faith is to be lived out in relationships. Never buy into the lie that you can do it on your own or that you'd be better off by yourself. Satan's key, one of his key tools is to divide us and make us less effective. To get people to have hurt feelings and, and run off or have you hurt someone's feelings and run someone else off. And, and the work is too important. Don't think of the church as far as what can I get out of it. Change your mindset. What can I contribute to my small group, to that person that's having a hard time, to the church as a whole? How can I contribute? Come every Sunday, every Wednesday, every small group, wherever you're involved, come with the mindset of we are in this together. We are serving God together. We have one vision, one purpose, one spirit, one Lord, and we're going to take this world together. We're going to change our community. We're going to change our families. We're going to deal with real issues, and we're going to do it together because God made us that way, and if God made us that way, then he's going to equip and empower us to do it. And that's the way church is meant to be lived out. So find how God has, has equipped you. Find how God has gifted you. Find your role. Find your purpose because I guarantee that you have one. And know that you know, the next time you think of checking out, that not only are you missing out, but we're missing out on you. Because we need you. Because God has you here for a reason.
I know the church has a messy history and it's filled with messy people. But while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And if he who is perfect can love us that much to give his life so that we may experience his forgiveness, how can we not show and live in grace towards others and forgive others and walk with them and even labor alongside them for greater things? Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the church, God. Warts and all, we are thankful for the church, that we do not have to go through this life alone, that not only do we have our families, but we have our extended church family to support us and love us. And, and God, we thank you for that. We thank you that, that there's people there to catch us when we fall. And, and God, I pray that, that you would give us the strength and the courage and the boldness to, to build relationships where we haven't built them before, to, to become involved with this church or a church or to, to find our place where you've called us. God, may we not forget that we're a part of your, your global kingdom, that the work of, of bringing the kingdom to, you know, to earth and, and your, will be, your will being done on earth as it is in heaven, that that is an ongoing major challenge that we've got to work together towards. And God, may we have the vision and the excitement to do it. Lord, empower us, equip us to bring your gospel to the nations, to see lives changed, to see hope restored, to see darkness made into light. And may you use us in the process, and may we believe that through you all things are possible. In your name we pray. Amen.